Thank you, Zach, for reading that lengthy passage I gave you. Um, It's our text for today, and I thought Zach might preach it there. He started with a good outline, and I was like, well, maybe next time I'll just have him do the whole thing. How about that? I think he could do that, so we'll have to get him up here sometime. Well, I've titled the message, um, Differences with the Vision. If you've seen this slide, help me out here, Zoe. There it is. Um, And a subtitle that I chose for it is, Can We All Just Get Along? Can we all just get along? What do you think? Today, um, we aren't talking about necessarily the world, but we're talking about us as a church. Can we all get along with each other? Uh, You can go on to the next one, Zoe. We'll put it on blank for right now. But I want you to think about some of the difficult relationships that you've either had in the past or maybe you have currently with other believers, other Christians. Are we capable of doing this? It seems like, at least in my mind, that we've talked about this quite often. I remember covering this in 2 Timothy last fall when we were preaching through there. And then here in Romans, we have a lengthy section that Paul has devoted to this problem. And so I have to think that it must have been a common problem in the churches back then, as Paul addresses it um, several times. And I think we would all say that this problem persists today as well. There are times where we just have difficulty getting along. I think, yeah, I saw this slide, um, I don't know, maybe some of you have seen it, Uh, and it kind of gives an idea of my pastor friends, where they've been through the last few months, um, just kind of bombarded with a variety of opinions from all different directions, and feeling like, how do we like find a space in here that where we can all just kind of get along um, with all these different opinions? Um, you can put the slide down. I can be pessimistic sometimes, you know. Um, Sometimes I can think, well, you know, maybe it's just always going to be a struggle. Um, Maybe the church and maybe all of us feel like sometimes it will just be this kind of fractured place, divisive place where we never really come together, never really get along. Um, Now, pastors do get tired of criticism, but I think what I hear from pastors, my pastor friends right now, is it's more of a, I think, a bit of a um, struggle for them as pastors to think, as they see a lot of divisiveness in their churches, to think, I am doing a really poor job of discipleship. I mean, I know that's what a lot of pastors think when they see this happening in the church. It's like, I must be doing a terrible job. Um, maybe I should do something else. So this question, can we, can we all just get along? Can the bride of Christ, the church, be beautiful? We talked about that last Sunday. And the answer is, we can. We can get along. We can be beautiful. 
as the bride of Christ. We can be light and push back the darkness. And London Christian Fellowship, as one little church among many, can be that city that we talked about, set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Even in central Ohio, where we don't have any hills, we can still be that city set on a hill. We who believe are children of God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Second Peter tells us His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. You believe that? Everything that we need for life and godliness comes from God. He's given that to us. And of course, it's not the pastor's responsibility for this to happen. But it is each person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility as individuals. We can do this, and Paul gives us some very practical advice in this passage on how to do it here in Romans 14. So we're going to run through this passage this morning. First of all, we know one thing is true. We will disagree. Can we agree on that? Yeah, I think we can agree on that. We're going to disagree. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. We're going to see things differently. We are different people. Often very different. Our personalities are different. Our upbringing is different. Our giftings are different. Our skills and our training is different. Our struggles are different. And how we do church is different all across the world. How we relate to God is different, at least in some practical ways. We can relate to God in very different ways. We are in different places in our walk with God. And He's working on different things in each of us. And so... Some of us are very focused on one area and others are focused on another. And that's for good reason. God has us focused on those areas. It just means that we might not be as tuned into the area that you're focused on. And so, we're very different. It means that we will disagree. Now, there are a lot of things, of course, that we have in common as believers. But right now, this morning, I think it's important that we need to understand that we are very different And God actually made us this way. He made us different. We can look at many passages, 1 Corinthians 12, and actually here in Romans chapter 12. We're encouraged to celebrate and appreciate the differentness of those in the church. And so we're going to disagree. We're going to see things differently. Of course, there's some non-negotiables that we see the same as believers. And we've tried to kind of define those with creeds or statements of faith that help us know those things that we need to agree on. And I think of the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. And it continues. So there's th- there are things that we very much agree on. 
these foundations of the faith. But we have many differences on exactly how we practically live out our faith in this world. Many differences on how we work that out. So what do we do about our differences? Well, we know what we're tempted to do, right? We're tempted, at least I am, to make everyone else kind of think like I do. So my opinion, to make other people conform to my opinion on all things. We're tempted to sometimes set the record straight, like, no, this is the truth, I need, you need to know the truth, and I'm going to tell you what that truth is, and then you need to agree to this, even if it is a subjective view. We're tempted to consider ourselves experts sometimes, and others as simply misinformed, or sometimes we might call them idiots, I don't know, has anybody ever done that? Maybe, maybe not, but it happens. So those are the things we're tempted to do. What does Paul tell us to do? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 14, he gives us a very simple thing to do, but one that the church has struggled with ever since the beginning of the church. And that is to accept one another. It's very simple. Accept one another. The ESV says welcome. Welcome the other person. Welcome the weak person is what it says. To accept one another. Most translations use the word accept. In other words, you don't need to necessarily change a person. You don't need to necessarily fix a person. You don't need to maybe change the air of their ways necessarily or give them a definitive argument for the truth or what is right. You need to accept them. Simply accept the other believer. And Paul gives some really good reasons why we're to do that. We're going to get into that this morning. And throughout this passage, Paul refers to the weak and the strong. You're probably familiar with that. He talks about the weak and the strong. And as I've been thinking about this passage for a couple weeks now, this question keeps coming up to me. So, who is the weak and who is the strong? Now, if we look at the examples that Paul gives here, he gives some examples. He says, examples of the weak are those who do not feel free to eat all foods or drink but would limit themselves to vegetables and would not drink wine. Or maybe those who felt one day was more important than another and would give it special significance, while the strong would give all days equal significance. In other words, people that would maybe live with more restrictions in their life. He identifies the strong as those who understood the freedom, who understand the freedom that they have in Christ and would not limit themselves in these areas. So that might bring clarity to their particular situation, but it doesn't necessarily bring clarity to ours, at least I don't think so, as I've looked at this question. I look at the issues that we've been wrestling with the last few months, and it's probably not even safe for me to take a vote this morning. (laughs) on who's the weak and who's the strong if I were to lay the issues out. Because 
invariably, at least the way I see it, I'm usually like the strong person, right? Like that's my, my opinion. Of course, I'm the strong. And the other person who has an inferior opinion is the weak. And I think that's probably how we usually think about issues that we disagree with people. So I don't know that it's easily necessary to just put people in groups and say, well, the weak are those people and the strong are those people. No. I think we probably all um, maybe feel like we're in the position of strength. That's why we argue our position, right? Like, I'm in the position of strength. So, the passage really talks primarily to the strong. So, I think it's practical. It speaks to all of us. And I think, really, it speaks to the weak and the strong, and we don't necessarily know which, in which area we are. I don't think so. So, what do we do? Well, I gave the first point already. Accept one another, especially those you consider weak, which is usually all the other people besides you. Accept one another. Paul gets into specifics. He says, don't quarrel and don't argue with them. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have good discussions and disagreements, because I think that's really healthy in the church. If somebody disagrees with something I preach from the pulpit, I would love for them to come and talk to me and have a healthy discussion about it. Because I'm figuring things out just as much as you are. So we're not talking about stopping all discussion where we disagree. No, I think it's very healthy for us to have discussion. And we should be having it. But there's a point where you've been in a discussion, right, where it comes from healthy disagreement over into argument. Where you're really, you can, heal, you, know, you can feel your blood starting to boil a little bit, you're starting to sweat a little bit, and you start raising your voice. You know all the signs that happen when you start flipping over into that mode. And Paul says, don't go there. Don't go there. In fact, I think he's saying, you know, if you can't have a, healthy discussion without arguing, you probably shouldn't have that discussion. You'd probably be better just to leave it alone. And sometimes, on really touchy issues, that can be the better position. I'd like to think that we could always have reasonable discussions on things that we disagree. But Paul says, don't let it fall into quarreling and arguing. He says, don't despise one another. So, if you have ever called somebody, a believer, another believer, an idiot, whether in your mind, or to another person, or inferred it in some way, then you've missed the boat. Paul says, don't do that. You need to accept the other person. You don't want to fall into that ditch. So don't despise one another either. He says, don't judge one another. And he talks about this in several places. We're going to come back to it a little bit. But he says, there's only one judge. There's only one judge. And guess what? It's not me. And it's not you. There's only one judge. He says, don't judge one another. There's only one master, he says. 
And guess what? It's not me, and it's not you. You aren't in charge. And I know we like to think that we're in charge sometimes, but we aren't. God is the only one who is master and Lord of all. He's the only one who can judge. It's not up to us to set anyone straight, especially with anything close to a judgmental attitude. You might as well just keep your mouth shut if that's what it's going to be. And so, church, we need to stop doing this. It's as simple as that. I love what he says in verse 4. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. He says, Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master, and he's speaking of God himself, their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Who are we to judge someone of whom the Lord has given his approval? I want you to think about that. How can we judge someone who God has already approved? Another believer who God has accepted. It doesn't make any sense if you think about the fact God has accepted them, but I'm going to reject them. It is by the power of God and His Holy Spirit that anyone stands. And we can have confidence that He will make that person stand. It's not up to us. And pastors fall into this, this trap all the time. And not just pastors, but we get this idea of thinking like, it is up to me to make sure everyone stands holy before God, my whole congregation. It is a fallacy. It is not up to to the pastor, it is not up to anyone. Whether you're discipling someone or your children, it is not up to you to make them stand holy before God. It is only up to God. And he says, I can do it. I don't need your help to do that. I can do it. I can handle this in this person's life. I can handle their growth. I can handle where they need to change. I can handle what they need to do. They don't need you to judge them in order for them to change. And so I find it really interesting to think about. God can handle it. He is the one that is in work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who's changing us. And we can depend on that for every believer. It's not up to us to fix them. We've got one simple responsibility. What is that? That Paul's talking about here. That is to accept them as a brother or sister in the Lord. That's our responsibility. I think we can do that. It's simple, and yes, I'm not saying it's easy. It is hard. But it is very simple what God has asked us to do. Accept one another. Do not quarrel or argue. Do not despise them. Do not judge them or try and set them straight. Accept them as God accepts them. As God accepts you, accept them. Understand that it's very possible in this strong and the weak that you might be the weak person and not even know it. And of course, you would want others to accept you in whatever place they find you in your walk with God. 
So the first point is to accept one another. The second point is to honor the Lord in all that you do. Remember what you are all about. What are we about? Verses 7 and 8 here clearly spell this out for us. It says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Whatever it is that we strongly believe and are committed to, it should be for one singular purpose. We want our actions, we want our words, we want what we do, what we say, how we act, to all bring honor and glory to God. That's the purpose of our strong beliefs in one thing or another. It's to bring honor and glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about our opinion. It's not about winning an argument. It isn't about being right, even. It's not about fixing everyone else. It's about living in the world in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And yes, we should follow our convictions. Absolutely. But those convictions should be firmly rooted, of course, in God's Word. Not just in our own opinions or for our own benefit, but out of a deep desire to see God glorified. And the conclusions we come to of how to work this out, I think, can vary significantly about how to practically work it out in day-to-day life. That's left up to us as individuals to figure out from God's Word and how He speaks to us. A significant part of how we honor God will be in how we honor and respect one another. That's going to be a part of honoring God, how we honor and respect one another. You see, not only is it not our place to judge each other, but each of us, he says here, will stand before the judge ourselves, before God, the righteous judge, and we will give an account of ourselves. So it talks about in verse 12. We'll give an account. Jesus has some interesting words to say about this in Matthew 7. Verses 1 and 2, he says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I find that a little sobering. I don't know exactly how this works. I know our salvation is not in jeopardy for those of us who believe. But somehow there will be an accounting for all that we've done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 puts it this way, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Like I said, I don't know how this works exactly. But this understanding should, in the least, give us pause in judging or condemning others. Because it says somehow the measuring stick that we're using for other people, as we judge other people, God's going to take that same measuring stick and He's going to use it 
on us. And we know how that works out, don't we? At least my experience is invariably after I have kind of criticized or judged someone, like within a few days, I fail in the same area that I just criticize someone else about. Invariably, that's how it happens in my life. And I'm like, how could I do that? I'm the same person. I'm no better. We're all fighting the same battles. We're all struggling. And instead of judging one another, we really need to have each other's back. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be picking each other up and saying, you can do this. I'm proud of you. Get up and go. I'm with you. And so this idea that God is the righteous judge and we will stand before him should give us pause in judging other people. Verse 13 says, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. We're done with that. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. You see if these slides work. I got little... All right, you're going to have to help me. This isn't working, Zoe. So I got a little caught up in the tripping here. So no tripping, okay? We're not supposed to trip each other up. And you, I was surprised how many different signs there are um, about tripping. Like, I, I love the expressions of these little guys. So go to the, yeah, okay, so this guy's at least got a helmet on. Um, this is really bad. Like, I mean, he's just launched down the stairs. So it's, it's a scary one. Now, somebody got creative here on a sign, so they call it random gravity testing instead of... They're outlawing no, no more trips on the premises. Yeah, so I, somebody else is getting creative with tripping. Obviously, you have these in the, in the workplace. Uh, fix that trip hazard, and I think that's a good one for the church this morning. We need to fix that trip hazard. And the last one here... Um, no judging, no tripping, okay? So, no tripping. Thanks, Zoe. Never put a stumbling block in another believer's way. And this takes things to a new level. Not only do we not pass judgment on each other, but we need to change our own actions, our own behavior, so as not to trip up another believer. To never put a stumbling block in someone's way. Even if you're completely convinced that what you're doing is fine and good and right, you should consider not doing it if it causes another person to stumble. That's pretty significant. It's not just the fact that we don't judge each other, but the fact that the things that we think are okay and good and right Maybe we shouldn't do them if it's going to cause another believer to stumble. So, verse 2 says, Let us please his neighbor for his good. And this is chapter 15. Let, us each, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We're not just thinking about ourselves here. And we've heard this many times, but I think it still comes as a surprise to us. Our life is not just about what we think. 
or what we want, but it's about pleasing our neighbor for his good to build him up. It's about humility on our part. It's about servanthood. That's what it is in the church. And this is the example that Jesus left for us, and we should follow him in it. Now I know it can get hard to do this. It's hard to do this sometimes. And as I've thought about this message, I've had to think about a lot of things that I need to work on personally when it comes to this area. I have strong opinions, just like probably most of you. And there have been times where I have stepped over the line of helpfulness and strayed into judging or arguing or condemning maybe or even despising people maybe. Maybe not exactly calling them idiots but inferring that in some way. I'm sure I've said some careless words even from the pulpit that may have been offensive to one of you or several of you to my church family. And I am sorry for that. And whenever we do that, we should be sorry for it. There's a better way, and Paul is showing us a better way. I can be better at this. We can be better. We can do better. Believe it or not, we live in a great time right now to practice this. It's a perfect opportunity. We've got all kinds of opportunities to accept one another who have differences of opinion. And so this is a great time to work on this. And I think this is a test for us right now in some ways for the church. Not a test on who's going to be right in the end, but a test about whether we will stick together as the body of Christ. Will we accept one another? We're being tested, and we can be better, and I want to be better. And so I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If I have offended any of you at any point in time, I want you to come to me. If you don't feel like you need to come to me, that's fine. I just ask your forgiveness. But I would invite you to come to me. Let's work it out. If there's something that needs to be worked out, if I need to apologize for something, let's talk about it. And I would encourage us all to do that with one another. To not hold offense about our differences, but to continue the conversation, to continue the dialogue, to continue to forgive, as we talked about several weeks ago. Let's not allow any walls of division to build up. We have an opportunity right now. And so I just encourage all of us, myself included, let's not miss this opportunity that Paul is talking about and that we have in front of us. And in wrapping up this discussion, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what the church can be in chapter 15. And I want to close our time with these words. This is his prayer for the church, and this is my prayer for us. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus 
that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. Amen? Amen.